Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're studying one verse, and it's been one that's been very difficult over the centuries to interpret, and consequently, many people get it read their own uh, points of view into it and mislead the saints. So I'm just going to cover this one verse. And while we're on this title slide, I will read the text and then we'll put it into context. The text is 1 Corinthians 2.13. I'm citing from the Lexham English Bible. Things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, that we can know the truth, that we can understand what you've said, and that we can know that our sins are forgiven if we've turned to you and trusted in you alone and help us have wisdom about those things that are more difficult, but yet we need to know because we know you've told us the truth and we don't want anyone to be deceived. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to break down these passages in context. The reason I'm going one verse at a time here is that, as I mentioned before, at one point in my life, I was actually deceived by false teachers who took these verses and explained things in ways that weren't correct. And some of the work that's been done more recently in scholarship really puts this into focus. So I want that to be clear for all of us. If anyone could be spared joining some group that claims to be more spiritual than ordinary Christians, or to be higher order Christians, or to be better Christians, then... That's not right, because the unity of the body in Christ is what this is about. So let me read the overview of what we've been talking about. 1 Corinthians 2, 11, B through 13, A, from that same version. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, in order that we may know the things freely given to us by God, things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Now, let me give you a review. Not everyone probably heard each of the sermons I've done on this. And so, in review, and we'll have an overview slide as well, we're one, we must stay on topic. And my claim is, and I believe the text shows us that this is accurate. The things highlighted in red on this slide, the things of God, the things freely given, things which we, Paul and the other apostles, speak, are about Christ crucified and the gospel, not special teachings for super spiritual Christians who know something the rest of us don't. And that other trans or idea has been just abused throughout church history. And we must go back to Scripture alone and get that right if we're going to understand this. I'm going to cite some scholars, one of which is a Greek scholar by the name of Thistleton. And 
I'll cite him. The reason I'm doing this, by the way, Eric and I believe that we need to teach theology directly to the church because people end up being misled by large banners that say this church or that seminary. But if we, if we can get the tools and go back to Scripture, God cannot lie, his word cannot lie, and we can do discernment by knowing the truth and being able to directly teach everyone in the church. Thistleton, uh, commentary is more recent. I wish I would have understood these things in the 70s. I would have done things differently. But in God's providence, I learned the hard way. I hope to help you realize that being in Christ is the greatest blessing anyone can have. And if we start thinking that we know something not revealed to ordinary Christians, we're deceived. Thistleton, he says this, the point of analogy does not turn on human spirit within versus divine spirit within, but on the possession of an exclusive initiative to reveal one's thoughts, counsels, stance, attitudes, intentions, or whatever whatever else is within, in the sense of hidden from the public domain, not in the sense of location. What does all that mean? I gave an analogy. If you're going to the store and they have a lot of different things and you just go to the store and you walk in, no one knows what you're there for unless you decide to say so. That was the analogy. That's what we're going with here. How do we know the things of God? Because God has chosen to reveal them to us. How do, how do we know we're in Christ? God has chosen to reveal. We didn't go on a journey, a mystical journey, to discover that God has spoken. So again, the things here have to do with Christ crucified. Freely given, we talked about that. Kerizomai, having graced, having graced. So let's go now to uh, a called-out version of verse 13 so I can can tell you what these issues are. The topic now remains the same. The same things. In this particular translation, it comes first. It does in the Greek. That's a way of emphasizing it. Things which we also speak. Notice the not. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but, that's a contrast, in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So, who is the spiritual man? I thought I knew who that would be, and I tried, I told you before, I was following some teacher by the name of Watchman Nee early in the 20th century who claimed that the spiritual man had direct access to the things of God and, and his soul This is anatomical, it's taught by the Spirit. I used to try to figure that out. One of my teachers said, that's wrong, don't listen to that. Now I know why it's wrong. I did listen. I paid the price by going through a perfectionist group. Now I'm here to tell you the spiritual man is someone who knows Christ. Amen. (laughs) You don't have to like what I'm preaching, I'm just... 
I got an email this last week from someone who was just was in despair, and I heard uh, Critical Issues podcast on this, and he said, I, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know how I could ever know Christ. I don't know how I can be in Christ, because I listened to that teaching for so long, I don't know how to get out of it. So we want to help. We speak is important, and we'll talk about that as we go forward. The things that uh, are important are the things that God has chosen to reveal. One more scholar. So just so you realize, this isn't some eccentric reading. The New American Commentary, Dr. Taylor says the phrase, this is what we speak, refers back to the scriptural citation in 2.9. That is 1 Corinthians 2.9. To the things revealed by the Spirit, yet unseen, and unknown by men, the, f- the use of the first person plural continues, we speak. And so this is going to be uh, proof that God has spoken through his ordained spokespersons, Christ the cornerstone, his apostles and prophets, and the message that's spoken is Christ crucified. Stay on message. Christ crucified wasn't dreamed up by a mystic. It was revealed in time and space before witnesses. It's about the person of Christ, the the pre-existent creator who came into our world. Stay on topic, and you won't need to listen to the false prophets. He never did. Now, let's look at some more proof of that. This is a continuation of a previous slide that laid out what the things, that which, what is discussed here. In 2.7, it was divine wisdom. What was that wisdom? Christ crucified. In 2.8, Christ crucified. 2.9, the same message, the things. The hidden wisdom isn't some secret. It's what's revealed. And then in verses 6, 7, and 13, we have, we speak. What is that? What is he speaking about? I will show you from the context he's speaking about the gospel. Now, why is this difficult? Because it's been misused and abused throughout church history. In order to gain credibility, influence, whether it's to be a hermit-type pious person or a prophet from God that knows something you don't know, throughout the years of church history, centuries and centuries, people have misused these verses to divide the body of Christ into the haves and have-nots in regard to their relationship with Christ. And that needs to be corrected. We covered verse 7, God's wisdom is Christ crucified. We covered verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, whether they spiritual ones or human ones, or they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because that doomed the world to judgment. God has chosen to use the message that's hated by the world of the crucified Jewish Messiah to save those who believe. Let's go forward here as we want to get focused on what has proven to be a difficult passage. 1 Corinthians 2.13, 
Now, why did I switch to the Net Bible? I couldn't find one that had it as emphatic as I wanted it to be. Things is first. We speak needs to be together. The other version here, we also speak, which is correct, but I want to focus on that. So we speak these things. What are they? And what is Paul and the other apostles speaking about? My claim is that Paul and the other apostles, all those who were sent and ordained by Christ, preached Christ crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God. This is not special revelation for mystics, pious ones, monks, hermits, uh, mighty prophets that have some other message. It is the simple, true, profound message of Jesus Christ. And if we preach that with integrity and clarity, God will use it. But the message that attracts the most people that in Christendom is something you need to learn some secret I know that ordinary Christians could never figure out. So let's continue. What about we speak? I happen to bring along, finally figuring out how to use the logo software to its, a better extent. Not only can you look up every time a word is used, you can look up how it's used in an exact, exact conjugation. And so here, I was able to find in the entire New Testament, every time the word laleo, which is I speak or to speak, and here it's in present active indicative first person plural. Aren't you glad you came to church? I know, I'm a nerd, but there's a reason for this. You can find that exact use, and it's actually found 10 times the entire New Testament, just like that. Wouldn't be that meaningful other than where it's found and in what context. I went over this with Eric, so he's implicated in our nerdiness. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, yet we do speak wisdom. There is that exact use. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, we've seen that. We speak God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, we're in right here. We also speak, or we speak. Exactly. Now, let's look forward. 2 Corinthians 2, 17. But as from God, Paul said, we speak. The exact use of the verb. The same way. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. I believe, therefore, we also speak. And again, 2 Corinthians 2, 19, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Out of 10 usages, six of them are right here in First and Second Corinthians. Now, if somebody is saying to me, in fact, if you look at all of them, the context is about God used his apostles to speak the truth of the gospel. Is that definitive? No, somebody could say, well, it's accidental or incidental, but not when the context is staying the same. We speak. We speak. Let me cite now Dr. Gordon Fee, who I thank God that his commentary came out in 1987. Because when I got it, I started 
looking at these things that had led me away from staying where I should have been into trying to be a higher order, perfect, holy Christian who was better than ordinary Christians. And when we got out of that, I realized it was wrong, but I didn't know why. My teachers said, stay in the Greek, stay in the Bible. But they couldn't tell me why this is wrong. And I'm here hoping to show you definitively why it's wrong so that you won't be harmed. You won't be called into some group that claims to know something. And you'll be solid in Christ. I'm going to cite Dr. Fee, Gordon Fee. As throughout the paragraph, Fee says, and in the entire argument, beginning with 117, what he says positively about his own ministry is placed in antithesis to what is merely human, not in words. I have that on the slide up here, Logoi. Not in words taught by human Sophia, which is wisdom. The ties to the final paragraph of the preceding argument are obvious, says V. The noun words, of course, does not refer simply to languages as such, but to the meaning or message contained in the words as they give expression to what? The gospel. The gospel. We speak the gospel. I brought along a few things. I'll see what I'll, where this goes as we have time. Ironically, in the very week I was preparing this message, I've got emails from people asking me to clarify what caused them to despair of being saved. And I got emails from false prophets who claim they know something that you don't know and I don't know. And if you look at some of these passages, people say, Our faith is to be faith in our own words. We believe, therefore we speak. So I believe I'm going to get $84 million for airplane. Therefore, I speak. But that's false. Someone else, and I'll cite in a bit, claims that he has the key to journeying to heaven, learning things, finding things, There's the romantic Jesus that ordinary people don't know. Now, that's been popular lately. Why go through all this? Because if we can't stay focused on Christ crucified, we'll get off on some tangent, and many people never get back out. And the ones that are getting out are thinking, I think I'm lost. I think maybe I committed the unpardonable sin. Someone called about that. Where's my hope? How can I know? How can I be saved? Maybe nothing makes sense. And let me give you an analogy. One time I was, uh, I have a rheumatologist because of a rare condition that I've gotten better. I didn't think I ever would. So thank God for the prayers of the saints. And they have a thing, how's your pain? And it was zero, 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 zero all the way down. But I have other problems. And I said to the doctor, it must be tough having your job because almost everybody that comes in here has some level of pain. And hardly ever can you just get rid of it. And he said, no, I do this because I can help some people have better lives 
that they would have had otherwise, even though some of these conditions, such as deformity of rheumatoid arthritis and things like that, are incurable. I thought about that. What's, what would be even better than that would be to help people have better lives that go all the way into eternity. I'm not dis, dissing what he's done. I thank God for doctors, but can you think of anything greater than getting delivered from deception, getting out of a cult? Eric was talking about the Trinity. Some people have been delivered from Jehovah Witnesses. There's some Mormons have come to Christ. Some people who were in various cults that thought they had hope, but they didn't, thought they were saved, but they're not. Isn't it even better to help people know the solid truth of the gospel, which will benefit us for us now and all the way into eternity? So that encouraged me. We need to go forward with this, even if we got to go into some details to disprove the false teacher. Let's go now to the second part of the verse. Nobody can accuse me of skimming over the verse. Okay. Now, here's the thing that's interesting, and I'm, I thank Eric for calling me as we went over this together to see what it is. These la- this last part here is really only three words in the Greek, and one of them could be either neuter or masculine, and... There are so many different translations, so let me explain that to you. Here it says, in the net version, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So that's three Greek words. And the, the last word is the present active participle, plural, nominative, masculine. Explaining would mean interpreting. That would be what you would have in the ESV, new RSV. Explaining is in Net, Lexham English Bible, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible, the NIV of 2011. Combining, New American Standard. Comparing, New KJV. They all translate the same word. Not because it's poor, poorly translated, because there's ambiguity. There's definitely an ambiguity here. When there's ambiguity in the scripture... In the Greek or Hebrew, the context is how we know what the author means. So those who deceive the saints will say, aha, only higher order Christians will ever be able to understand the real teaching. That's what happens with this. But it could be translated different ways. Again, back to the scholar Thistleton on this uh, first word here, nematicoi. Who are the nematicoi, the spiritual ones? Now, if you are a Christian, don't you want to be the real spiritual ones? Have you ever turned on a TV broadcast where a preacher is saying, I'm going to tell you the secret to, and then whatever it is, the secret to always being rich. The secret to never getting sick. The secret to getting how to write your own ticket with God. I have to admit, I was deceived by that one time. Until I realized 
If I wrote my own ticket, it would probably be a dumb one. God doesn't have to consult me about how he gets me to where I need to be. But beware. There's two things in two main categories. What's revealed about God and his plan of salvation and then secrets that are not revealed. Beware the secrets. Thistleton, the pneumaticoi, which can be neuter or vascular, spiritual things or spiritual men, the range of possible meanings then, according to, he says, according to Robertson and Plummer, most are not less than six on the basis of lexicography and grammar. Everything depends on the judgments about the contextual flow of the argument and the situation at Corinth, which shapes how Paul would consider his language to be perceived and received. Not the least, Paul's own theology of revelation and the communication of the Holy Spirit, unquote. Why is that significant? Some of you know accounting or math, or I studied these things a long time ago when I studied math and equations, what have you, but you have so many permutations that you can't know which one's correct. It could be this, it could be this, it could be this. A false teacher say, I choose this one because God told me, now you better listen to me. Here's what I would say. What's the flow? Christ crucified. What's the message? Christ crucified. What's revealed? Christ crucified. What's the mystery of God? What's the mystery of wisdom? Christ crucified. Why? Why is that important? Because... Paul said earlier, and this is evident throughout Luke Acts here in Corinthians, that the world hates that message. Christendom did not exist when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. There wasn't the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran and the Episcopal and the Anglican and the Methodist and all of this I've mentioned it, and someone said, well, there's 2.5 billion in what might be considered people Christendom, right? And so if you have a message that sounds Christian, well, that's great. Christ crucified, yeah, we believe that. Cross, yeah, we believe that. We have one on our building. Uh, Bibles, yeah, we have that. We have more than just the Bible. We have the Book of Mormon, too. I wouldn't call that Christendom. But so it is. So if we take that out of our minds and say, what did they know? Back then, when Paul wrote this, the Jews rejected Christ crucified. The entire Gentile world, the Greeks, rejected Christ crucified. The philosophers are all included. The only ones who believed in a crucified Jewish Messiah were Christians. There's no Christendom. There's no Holy Roman Empire, which wasn't Holy Roman or an empire. And so the task is this, dear ones, the mission field in 2022 is Christendom in the rest of the world. You can't assume that whatever's in the hymnal, whatever's in the creed, whatever says in the boilerplate, whoever's in their group believes it. They probably don't. Some do. 
God has his people, but they're scattered not just amongst the Jews and Greeks, but throughout Christendom. Many have said that they've gone to preach the gospel in churches and been shown the left foot of fellowship. Out the door, get out. We don't want to hear it. What about us? I pray that we can embrace what we know that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, or to bring us to God. Those who know him and trust him, don't look down their nose at others who also confess Christ and say, I have no need of you. We're not to say, I'm spiritual, but you're carnal. We'll see that when we get to verse 15. The spiritual one isn't a hyper-spiritual Christian. It's someone who knows Christ and relies on Christ alone. Natural is coming up. We'll do that when we get to verse 14. Let's do some implications and applications. This, I hope, will focus this. Paul and all true apostles preach Christ crucified. That's a unique message. The only one who could die a substitutionary death for sins is Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ who created, Eric taught on the Trinity this morning, so that we understand orthodox doctrine from the Bible. God sent his son who created the world into the world, the sinless one, God the Son, born of a virgin, fulfilled many, many prophecies that can't be made up. He did it. He lived a sinless life. He proved who he was. He predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. He claimed that he would die for sins. He rose from the dead and appeared to many witnesses. And he bodily ascended into heaven and said that he'd come again. He's coming bodily to bring salvation and judgment. That's what's preached. Oh, yeah, we believe that. We believe that. It's in the back of our hymnal. But when you say, do you know that you would be lost and bound for hell had God not given you a sinless Savior to die for your sins and you need to believe in him? That God cannot lie in the Bible is the very word of God. Oh, no, we don't believe that. I was told that by ordained ministers. So the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Christ crucified, not secrets for super pious Christians. I've never heard a preacher say there's a great, powerful understanding of truth revealed whereby you can have your best life, your powerful life, your holy life, your romantic Jesus. I'll mention that in a bit. But unfortunately, I don't know what it is. Have you ever heard that? No. They're peddling it to you. If there's a secret and somebody's preaching it, then they claim they have it and you don't. There's no super pious Christians. God will decide rewards in eternity. 
We need each other. Those who by grace trust Christ alone, by faith alone, are separated from the world, not from one another. Meaning the world that's in darkness, the world that hates us, the world that will never tolerate belief in a crucified Jewish Messiah as the only way to God. The only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now let's look at some versions of previews and reviews and how we can understand this right from Scripture. True apostles preach Christ. We've gone over this. 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of the cross, by the way, same message, which is Christ crucified, said in different ways, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I preached on that on June 20th, 2021. There's one true message, but two destinies. God has chosen this seemingly foolish message, which is, by the way, God's wisdom, so that no one would believe it other than through a work of grace. If you preach this message accurately, the ones that will hate it and reject it won't have you back. They don't want to hear it. Or maybe they, maybe later they will. Like in Athens, some said, well, we'll hear you later. But a few did believe. But to, to us who are being saved, I mentioned that in a sermon, there's a, we're saved now, our sins are forgiven, but it'll go on as we have future promises. It's the power of God. And then look at 2 Corinthians 2.17. We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak. There's that same usage. She was like that in the same form 10 times. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. Why is it important that's in the sight of God? We don't see God. And those who are born of God live, and sometimes this gets away from us. We think, well, God, as long as humans are happy with me, I don't care what God thinks. But he does give us grace. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. Doesn't matter how popular it is. Doesn't matter how big of an organization we can build. Doesn't matter much of anything other than we preach Christ. Preach Christ. Now, Peter preached the same message. All of the true apostles did. True apostles preached Christ. Turn with me. I believe we have time to go over this. Turn with me to Acts 4, 8 through 12, Acts 4, 8 through 12. This is, by the way, how you know a work of the Spirit, by the preaching. If Christ isn't confessed, then there's something wrong. 
look at what happens in Acts 4, the very beginning of the church, the day of Pentecost and directly following, Acts 4, 8, I'll read from the New American Standard Bible. Then Peter, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit, when Luke says that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's his way of indicating, listen, this is from God. The Holy Spirit is God, the Spirit, he cannot lie. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, remember the lame man was healed, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you that we're going to take up an offering. No, it doesn't say that. Hold on here. You can be that person too. Just send them money. No. Let's get back on track. That, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, so there's implication, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He didn't glorify himself. He glorified the work of God. Let's read on, verse 11. Scripture cited, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Allusion to Psalm 118.22. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Notice, by which we must be saved. This isn't optional. There's not plan A, B, C, D, depending on which version you like. There's salvation in no other name. The name stands for the very honor and power and dignity and character of God who has done these mighty things. If you look at Luke Acts as the two-volume work that it is, notice it says, Jesus Christ the Nazarene. What happened in Nazareth when Jesus came in Luke chapter 4, as spoken in Luke chapter 4, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, he came to Nazareth, he read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and why mention the Nazarene? Because they rejected him in his hometown. You mean you're going to tell me that the only way to be saved is through this Nazarene? We already got rid of him. Well, no, you didn't. God raised you from the dead and you ascended to heaven. Scripture is fulfilled. Is there any good point to boast in one's spirituality? Have you noticed that in a secular sense? If someone famous is interviewed on television and the person said, well, I want you to know I'm a very spiritual person. Has anybody heard that? I, at one time we did, I think I have a video on that, Oprah spirituality, which was sort of God is in everything. You could say John Lennon, we imagine there's no heaven and hell. So spiritual doesn't tell you anything. I'm very spiritual. One person said to me, oh, I'm spiritual. I put myself in the hands of the universe. I said, 
The universe does not care about you. It's true. The trees and the birds don't care about you. But God, who sent his son, does. We must come to him on his terms. Let me illustrate this as we, uh, let me read the verse and I'll illustrate it by yesterday's email that I got from someone. Title here, Boasting in Spirituality is Absurd. Let me read the text, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? That should humble all of us. The lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life is from the world. It's not from God. Our very existence utterly depends on God. How is it that we're still living here? The earth still turns green. By the way, green Carbon dioxide makes things more green. Did you know that? Uh, it's not a pollution for the earth to turn green, but that's another story. We're here because God is gracious. He's gracious even to those who blaspheme him. He's patient. Paul was a blasphemer. He wanted to kill Christians, but God showed him mercy. We don't know who may turn to God by his grace. And if by his grace he can save somebody as horrible as me or anyone else, then I realize what's there to boast about. Are your sins forgiven? Are you part of the family of God? We serve one another by grace, not because we have something to offer ordinary people don't. Southern Corinth boasted in a special Spirituality, other Christians lacked. I have to share what came a couple of days ago from a man by the name of Todd Bentley, who used to be in the news where he was holding meetings saying, bring the cameras, we're going to raise the dead. But here now, he has a new e-book. Don't get this. Um, but here is the... Teaser for the new ebook. Do you long to get out of the rut of passionless prayer and learn to speak the love language spoken between God and man? Would you like to find your way back to that ancient place where God's presence is encountered in his love experience in ways you never felt or known? This is the book for you. Okay, I just came. I'm, I'm working on a servant. Here is somebody claiming what Paul is warning us against. I've heard people say, well, it's better felt than tell. No, it's not. I'm sure mystics and gurus, Eastern religion devotees, shamans, people in India who learn how to meditate, try to block out everything. It's not better felt than tell, because you may be feeling a demonic spirit. It's not from God. I can't decide all this. The secret place, he says, is a garden of love to be experienced and a house of treasures 
to be explored. Experiences. Um, here's one. Also, you will receive insight and inspiration from the writings of some of the Christian mystics of the past. And then it gets really weird. There's this romantic Jesus. We've warned about that. Mystical, special, powerful, go to heaven. Dear ones, do not be deceived. The gospel isn't complicated, but it offends everybody. Who doesn't want to have a glory experience of mystical pleasure? It sounds like a romantic novel, but it's a lie. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way we're saved. And it offends everybody, but those who believe sing about it and will be in eternity. We wrote about Sarah Young, Romantic Intimacy, Jesus Calling, wrote an article about that. And Voskamp, Romantic Jesus. Bentley, Romantic Jesus. Well, I could say more, but maybe I'll get in worse trouble. Oh, I'll say it. Maybe they have a Hallmark channel for those who are spiritual. I don't know. Just going to say. <laughs> Dear ones, crucified Jesus Messiah. That's how you come to God. Now look at this. Uh, as we go to the ninth slide here, claims of elite piety abound. You've probably heard it. Oh, I'm very spiritual. Well, what do you believe? God is in the flowers. God is in the stream. God is in the brook. God is in panentheism. No, that's that's a lie. The whole creation groans and travails. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commands. In Acts, remember, when God did a mighty work, the pagans wanted to call Paul's and Paul deities. We haven't got to that yet. I'll keep teaching through Acts. And they rent their garments, which meant this is horrible. And, uh, and they said, we are preaching Christ. We're telling you to turn from these vain things and serve the living God. But what is this? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Did we come and give God something that he wouldn't have had if we didn't show up? He's the creator of the whole universe. Turn with me to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, that's Yahweh, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, Yahweh, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declare the Lord. Loving kindness is said, used, I believe, by the word charis, grace, by allusion in the New Testament, full of grace and truth, justice. People say, I want justice. Yes, we want justice to be done so that people have their day in court and we have our opportunity to live and get the gospel out and so forth. But when it comes to God's justice, it should cause us to tremble. We tremble at his word. I remember there was a story I heard when I, the very first church I was part of was in Bible college, I was driving up to North St. Paul. They told about a guy who was a, always lying, 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 lying. And finally, in order to convince that he wasn't lying, they were in this little church office. And he said, if I'm lying, may lightning come out of heaven right now and strike, strike me dead. The other people ran out of the office in case God answered. I wouldn't. Would you say the only reason to say that is you don't fear God? Let God be true, though every man a liar. And so, if we believe in Christ and we, by His grace, serve one another part of the body of Christ, we can't figure out who's more important than someone else. We can't figure out who does a better job than others. We might feel that God's so sick of me, he wishes I wasn't here, or we might think I'm God's gift to somebody. The best thing to think is this. God is merciful. He promises to use everyone he saves. We need one another. That's the message of 1 Corinthians. Here's another one. I'll, I'll review this because we covered it, and I'll read it right now. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now there is an allusion to this passage, Jeremiah. Now, why would you boast in the Lord? It seems bad. It's not bad because if it wasn't for God's doing, we would never have believed in a crucified Jewish Messiah. And the only thing we know about our own selves before we believed was we had nothing to offer. By his doing, you're in Christ Jesus. One more slide. This is uh, one of the one another passages. There's a single Greek word translated one another. And this is just a reminder for all of us. Romans 12 
10 through 13. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference, preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's basic. But in the first century, when already Jewish believers who came to Christ, as we see in the book of Acts, were rejected by their kin, their family, mostly, driven out of synagogues. Greek, that's a a synodoki for Gentiles. Same thing, mostly rejected. So what the church had left was not an institution, a temple, a giant building. They had each other. They had each other. They didn't have massive resources for the most part. Some people had hosted churches, gatherings. But whatever we have is because of God and his grace. And a simple thing of sharing the gospel with the lost and taking care of each other is an amazing work of grace. So what's the context? If you want to turn to that, turn to Romans 12, 4 and 5 as we close here. Romans 12, 4 and 5. It says here, in the context, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. That we know. Those who believe the one message... No name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, Peter preached. We have one another. No one's perfected yet. The resurrection's yet future. And God's given us means of grace. Next week is Communion Sunday, and I'm going to skip ahead because we've been through all this dense stuff. I want to talk about what the Lord's Supper really means. This is not a high church institution. It's Christians remembering what God did for them. Next week, I'll be preaching on the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper, relating it back to the book of Luke, where sinners dined with Jesus. And hopefully we can get that in context as we have the Lord's Supper next week. So we have to continue forward now. Next week will be about the Lord's Supper. Simple truth is this. If Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, and he is who he claims to be, today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I'm not promising you a better life now, more money, more happiness, some romantic mystical experience as in Eastern religion, but the promise is 
forgiveness of sins and eternal life and the resurrection from the dead. The eternal is more important than the temporal. Next week, we'll go and really dig into what the Lord's Supper is and how simple it is compared to what church history made it to be. I hope you'll be able to join. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for showing kindness to unworthy sinners, making us a part of the body that we had no place in, giving us a hunger to learn things that the world would never want to hear, and giving us grace to grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice, and take care of each other in the difficult times. And Lord, we need a love for the truth so that if we do understand and do learn, it'll be a great benefit. May we be corrected when we need to and learn what you've said. And thank you, Lord, for the dear saints and those around elsewhere that aren't here in person, that you be with each one and guard each one and use each one. We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.